giving honor to whom honor is due. That's next, right here on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place God will dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand, singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your love. To honor someone is to regard with great respect or hold in high esteem. To some degree, we're all worthy of some honor and respect since we're made in God's image. But without question, there are those we honor above others. How do we assure honor is given to those worthy of it? Are we or can we become worthy of honor, even double honor? We'll get some answers today on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We'll find those answers in 1 Timothy chapter 5, and they may surprise you. Pastor Ed gets us started by reading this important, if not controversial, scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 9. As we're working our way through scripture, verse by verse, Paul writes, Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number or put on the list, and not unless she has been the wife of one man, well reported for good works, if she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she had washed the saints' feet, if she had relieved the afflicted, if she had diligently followed every good work. But refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. Therefore, I desire that younger widows may bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some have already turned aside after Satan. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning, ladies? <laughs> if any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them, and do not let the church be burdened, that it may relieve those who are really widows. Let the elder who rules literally lead well, be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the labor is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest may also fear. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice doing nothing with partiality. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden." Let's stop there and pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word that it is meant to help us understand you and to grow. So teach us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So a uh, grandmother sent this to me. She also happens to be a widow. She said, little Frankie asked his grandmother how old she was. And grandma answered, 39 and holding. 
Frankie thought about that a moment, and finally he said, and how old would you be if you let go? <laughs> Don't answer that. <laughs> so we're looking at an interesting, read controversial verses here, that when you understand what Paul is talking about, they're really not. It's very difficult to find sermons preached on this section because smart pastors, you know, go around them, but <laughs> here we are this morning. So believers often find themselves at odds with other people in relationships because we're called to be witnesses. We're called to talk about God and to show him to other people. And so those conflicts may be between a relative of you, a neighbor, an employer, a customer, uh, an employee, a fellow believer over some issue about Scripture. There's really a thousand different ways to find a, a wedge being driven between a believer and other people. So Paul is writing to a young pastor here. If you're just joining us, we've been working our way through this book. There's a second one, 2 Timothy right after it, and then a third one to Titus who was in the general area who was also a young pastor. So together, these three are often called the pastoral epistles because they're teaching young pastors. But they're very much for us, for every believer, because the things that are taught to these young pastors are in fact important for each one of us. So Paul is the spiritual father, kind of the mentor to Timothy. In fact, he calls him his son in the faith. And Timothy has been given a new church. He's a brand new pastor in a very difficult area. He's in the city of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a beautiful spot. It was a huge city. It was uh, the queen of the east. It was the capital city of Asia Minor. Architecture was stunning. Uh, the homes were stunning. Uh, there's a home here that's been excavated that has tile floors and frescoes all over. They're just uh, a very wealthy city. It was uh, their huge amphitheater that Paul tried to go in to talk, but they were, he was uh, kept by the disciples in the book of Acts from going in because he might be hurt. The temple of Diana or Artemis, it was a, one of the seven wonders of the world. Doesn't look like it today, but it was absolutely stunning according to early writers who saw it. We have an architectural shot of what it looked like, uh, they think. 127 pillars sent by kings from all over the Roman Empire, all white marble and beautifully carved. But basically, it was a house of prostitution. It was a temple that was to this goddess. And so, Timothy is in a city that's filled with all sorts of decadence. And so, it's here that uh, Paul is writing to this young man and trying to encourage him on how to handle both this church and the surrounding churches, because out of this church, out of Ephesus, came a whole bunch of other churches, and they're in the book of Revelation, six of them within a day's walk of Ephesus, Philadelphia, and Pergamum, and etc. And the pastors and the elders of those churches were under Timothy. So that's why Paul is talking to him about relationships, all different kinds of relationships. We saw in the first half of this chapter, he was uh, talking about the relationship with older men. For Timothy, who was young, he was less than 30, and so he had to be careful the way he treated older men and older women, and also uh, young men and young women. And now in this section, uh, Paul is telling them the right uh, way to respond to widows, both young and old, 
and elders. And in this case, he's not just talking about older people, but about those who are in the church. This breaks up into three parts. The first section is a widow's list, so-called, 9 through 16. And then the relationship with elders in churches, various churches, 17 through 21. And then being careful to take time to make choices, to make decisions in choosing people to serve, 22 through 25. Now, it may sound like something that doesn't impact you, but it very much does in the way churches you choose to go to, people that you know that are leading everything from home Bible studies to men's group, women's groups. Uh, there's just all the various things that go on here. These leaders are the ones that Paul is talking about to Timothy and how to keep everything in order. We are blessed with a wonderful set of folks that have given themselves to the work here. And so uh, we have been extremely blessed in a lack of controversy, thank God, in this area. But let's jump in and see what God might say to you and me about our own relationship with people who are widows as well as those who are elders, teachers, etc. Nine. Do not let a widow under 60-year-olds be taken into the number or put on the list literally, and not unless she has been the wife of one man. Put on this list or literally chosen onto this list. Now, we need to know what this list is or the next six verses make no sense whatsoever. Back in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, Dr. Luke is talking about what went on in Jerusalem. He wrote, In those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, the church was growing right after Pentecost, there arose a complaint of the Grecians, those who spoke Greek, against the Hebrews, those who spoke that language, because their widows were neglected in the daily menstruation. So from the very beginning, the foundation of the church in Jerusalem they made a provision out of the church funds to take care of widows. And uh, if they didn't in that society, uh, they would not be taken care of at all. Now, this list that the widows went on to, uh, to be accepted onto it, the widow had to make a vow to remain single and to devote themselves to God's service only. It was voluntary. It was something they decided to do. This set of verses has been, uh, has led to covenants and orders of women and men down through the ages who set their lives aside to serve God, uh, both Catholic and Protestant. Darmstadt, Germany is uh, the head of the Sisters of Mary uh, who uh, Bachelia Schlink, maybe you read her book, she's a great writer. Lutheran Covenant for Women, and now men too. We, most of us know the name of Mother Teresa, a Catholic order in, um, mostly in India. She was from Albania and she gave her life to taking care of people medically. The Dalits, the lowest people in the Indian society. Here in town we have Carmelites up on the hill, and when I was a kid, there were uh, Dominican nuns that taught at the local Catholic school. So, both Catholic and Protestant here. So, what did this look like, this group of women? Well, this is from Tertullian, who lived about 90 years later, and he described it in an early church historian this way. He said, in this time, the early church, in this time, the registered widows gave themselves to prayer, 
nursing the sick, caring for the orphans, visiting believers in prison, evangelizing pagan women, and teaching female converts in preparation for baptism. So a group of women that take a vow decide to not get married for the rest of their life and just serve the Lord full time, and the church really takes them on, we would say, like employees today, takes care of them, and they went out and and took care of other people. Now, Paul says there are four requirements, really it breaks down uh, into four requirements for a woman to be accepted, chosen onto this list. You're listening to Pastor Ed Ray on Grow in Grace, giving us some fascinating historical background on what has been termed the widow's list. Now with the four qualifications necessary to be a part of that distinguished list from 1 Timothy 5 and verse 9, here's Pastor Ed. She must at least be 60 years old, as it says here, faithful to her husband, well known for her good deeds, and have raised children. Okay, so the first idea of 60 years old, of course, is a smart guy would not even talk about a woman's age, but here it is, just staring at us, right? Okay, so in that day, the looked at a couple of sources, the average lifespan was 38 to 42 years. So if you made it to 60, wow, that was like major old age, right? I'm not saying you're old, men or women, okay? I'm older than that, so just so you know. But in that day, it was a remarkable thing and past the ability to have children. So that's how that was decided. A wife of one man, literally in the Greek, it says one man, woman, meaning that she has been married, but it wasn't an absolute requirement. But what, if she was married, it was to one man at a time, literally. Now, it sounds very similar to what we read about earlier for men who were called to be pastors, that they, in fact, were uh, to have, they were to be one woman men. So they would be focused on one woman. It is uh, really sexual purity it's talking about, not marital status. It doesn't demand that a woman had been married, in other words. But the Bible speaks a lot about this subject of widows, both the Old and the New Testament. In fact, in the New Testament, Jesus, you'll remember, was teaching his disciples, and they were uh, in a place to watch where people were giving money. And first he's the Pharisees came in, and they were really big into showing off, and so they would come up, and they'd, with great fanfare, they'd, they'd pray a prayer like, God, thank you for making me so holy, I'm so perfect, and I'm so glad that I'm able to give so much money to help your work, and they put a penny in, kind of a thing, right, and walk away, and everybody thinks they were really generous. But then he describes this woman who is a widow who has very little, and she comes in, and Jesus says she gave her all. Uh, very little money, but what she had, she gave. And then Jesus recommends her and criticizes the self-righteous Pharisee. So a widow was a woman who didn't have a man to take care of her, and in that society, she grew up almost always uneducated except in the synagogue, and there was a great difficulty finding a job. Old Testament dealt the same way. We're told to be very careful with the way we treat widows and orphans and strangers in the land. 
There's the Old Testament example, of course, of Elijah the prophet. And he was in a situation where he uh, saw a widow woman who uh, was, had a, a young son, and we don't know her name. He just went up to her and he said, make me something to eat. Now, she didn't know that he knew God was about ready to do something, or it sounds very heartless, because all she had, she said, was just a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour, and she was going to go home and uh, make pita bread and die, that kind of a thing. But she said, I'll do it for you. And so she went home, and she poured out oil, and there was more oil in the bottom, and more and more and more, because God was blessing her for blessing this man of God. And then same thing with flour, and so God took care of her. She did what Elijah asked, and God rewarded her for her faith and her obedience. And then the story goes on, and her son died, and you can go and read that. I'll leave it hanging so you're excited to go check that out. But the point was that widows are a careful class that God deals with, especially in the Old and New Testament. Here he is again dealing with it in this section. So besides being 60 years old and been the wife of one man, verse 10, well reported for good works, if she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. Whoa, there's a lot here. So the requirements, the good work, are many. The good she has done, it says literally, brought up children. Technotrophic means more than just bore children and raised them, but probably it's speaking about orphans too. A great deal of orphans in the Roman Empire, and uh, people normally did not take care of them. So this is a woman who saw the need for that. Met a lady when we were in Nepal last year or a year before, and uh, no, last year, and she was an American, Southern California gal who went there to check out Kathmandu, saw all the orphans and started a house. She had 26 kids in her house when we were there. God bless her. But she fits this picture, lodging strangers. Xenodotio uh, is the Greek word. We have a lot of discussion going on about that in our world. Xenophobia, this is the opposite, and it means to receive people with great hospitality. Wash the saints' feet. We're familiar with this concept because Jesus did that in John chapter 13. At the Last Supper, no one else would wash anybody else's feet, so the master did. Well, that's the only other place in the New Testament that describes it there and here. The idea is that this woman, who was a widow, was willing to serve other people with menial tasks, really the, the job of a slave. And uh, she washed feet, relieved the afflicted, uh, to aid, to give assistance to someone, to troubled people, maybe of her time, of her energy, of her finances, her own resources to help people. Uh, and she's already done it in the past, is the point. Diligently followed every good work. Literally, it says to tread in someone's footsteps. To be sensitive to other people's needs and to understand what they're going through. That whole thing about you need to walk a mile in another person's shoes. Well, that's a Greek phrase that Paul is recording here. We're called to be sensitive to widows. And it's actually part of our Judeo-Christian legal system 
the church today isn't put in exactly the same situation because we have received from the Bible, really, the concept for our laws of, of welfare and Social Security and Medicare and Medi-Cal. But this was before any of that was available, of course, and that's the basis for Paul talking about it. But refuse the younger widows, verse 11. For when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry. Okay, so refuse younger women, younger than 60 years old. Don't allow them to make vows to remain single and devoted to only God's work. Why? The word to grow wanton is to feel the impulses. It's a Greek expression meaning uh, all that's involved in a marriage relationship. It is not a bad thing. He's not condemning it. He says the danger is that uh, under the grief of losing your mate, a young woman would mourn, year, three, five, whatever, and say, you know, I'll never marry again, and so I'm going to give myself to God. And Paul said, later, natural feelings will come, given by God, good things, you'll want to marry, have children, and move on again. And he says, but if you've taken this vow, to do so would to break a vow. And you'd stood up in front of the church and said, I'm going to remain single for the rest of my life. Paul said, don't do that because you'll feel condemned, verse 12. Not damnation, but you'll feel guilt. And Romans 8 says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That's the wonder of confessing our sins. There's no longer this feeling of guilt that's supposed to come over us. Having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. They would be feeling guilty, another translation says, of breaking their previous pledge. They made this pledge and then uh, they feel embarrassed about it and they're, verse 13, and besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not. Too much time in their hands. Now, let me quickly say that in my experience, we guys like to tease women about talking too much and, and gossips and whatnot, but the truth is I know more men that are gossips than women. So just so we level the playing field here and, and say that's not what Paul is talking about here, the danger is just as real. It's not gender specific. The word busybodies is one who moves around. The implication is you have too much time and you're prying into things you shouldn't be. When Thomas Edison, inventor more than a thousand patents, was asked how he resisted temptations, his answer was a good one. He said, I never have any because I don't have the time. He was busy enough, he kept himself, he built into his own life complexities that kept him busy so he wouldn't have too much idle time. Or as my grandmother was fond of saying, idle hands and idle minds are the devil's workshop. Then she would sometimes add, if idle hands are the devil's workshop, then busy hands are God's toolbox. So stay busy is what this is suggesting. What I just quoted was, of course, not a scripture, even though I'm sure my grandmother thought it was because she said it so often. There's a lot of truth in it, okay? And important acknowledgement Pastor Ed Ray concludes with on today's Grow in Grace to those who've devoted themselves to this high and holy calling. To echo Pastor Ed, we salute you as well.
For a CD copy of today's message, call 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Or listen online at thepackinghouse.org. And look for us on iTunes as well. We can hook you up with many more resources to help you grow in grace when you visit thepackinghouse.org, like Pastor Ed's devotional. Speaking of resources, today we'd like to make special mention of Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, authored by renowned surgeon Dr. Paul Brand and Philip Yancey. Together they explore the human body and uncover statements that God has made about our bodies. They point out that the human body is like a window into the very structure of God's creation and a testament to God's glory. This month, we'll send this to those of you who support Grow in Grace with a donation of any amount. You might think of it as our way of saying thanks. Please remember that your gifts help us to bring Pastor Ed's teachings to the radio every day. To make a year-end contribution, go online at thepackinghouse.org or call 844-77-GRACE. And it's a real blessing when we hear back from our listening audience. Whether it's a word of affirmation or a comment related to the study, a question or a prayer request, we want to hear from you. Drop us an email today. Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. And then join us next time as together we grow in grace through a study in First and Second Timothy. This program is brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place got to dwell with man. Sit be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said let this world know me by your